This week on Hacker and the Fed, Reddit suffered a phishing attack. The FBI is now offering Ritz-Carlton-level customer service. Texas bans TikTok on state-owned devices. And a researcher documents the methodology of finding a major network flaw. Hector Monsegar was responsible for some of the most notorious hacks Former ever. FBI Special Agent Chris Tarbell. Hacker turned FBI informant. Participated in some of the world's most infamous hacks. It caused up to $50 million in damages. A life in the shadows. Cyber attacks on the rise. Welcome to Hacker in the Fed. I'm Chris Tarbell, former FBI special agent, working my entire career in cybersecurity, and now a founding partner at Naxo. I'm joined, as always, by my friend and podcast co-host, Hector Monsignor. Hector's a former black hat hacker who once faced 125 years in prison for his many years of hacking under the codename Sabu. Our stories collided in June of 2011 when I arrested him and convinced him to work with the FBI. Hector is now a red teamer, researcher, and cybersecurity expert. So how's it going this week, Hector? It's going pretty well, man. Got, you know, it's been a busy week as usual. And uh, I'm just glad we're towards the end of the week now. Got a lot of good stories this week. Uh, so let's jump right into them. All right, let's do it. Did you see the big hacker for the week? Reddit was hacked into. For those that don't know who what Reddit is, uh, Reddit uh, claims to be the front page of the internet. It's a uh, social news aggregation and uh, discussion website, 50 million daily users. And on Thursday, they came out and said that they were hacked into on Sunday, last on February 5th, um, that Reddit systems were hacked as a result of a sophisticated and highly targeted phishing attack. Uh, that, that was targeting Reddit employees. So we have talked about this number of times. Hector, um, employees are uh, being uh, targeted and uh, trying to get their credentials. Yeah. I mean, look, it, it works, right? Social engineering is a crutch to any organization, regardless of the security budget. Um, we've, seen, we've seen the metrics. We've seen the results. Every year Verizon does their, you know, their breach report. Um, there's all sorts of different research that comes out every year talking about exactly this. There's always going to be a percentage of your human resources of your employees that are going to click on a link. They might get fished. Yeah, it's problematic for sure. I mean, it sounds like the attacker took quite a bit of uh, effort to get into this one. Um, first, they had to find a list of employees and mm-hmm. uh, the employees' emails, contact information. They had to generate a plausible-sounding uh email uh mm-hmm. try to get the attackers That's they right. had to set up a fake login site that made it look like um you know these employees use that same site probably to log in you know 100 times a day probably um and that reddit used a uh, two factor uh to, so they had to be able to grab not only the username and password but the uh the second factor authentication yeah i mean in terms of sophistication this is what's kind of expected now nowadays. Um, there's enough tools out there, phishing platforms, that allow you to kind of deal with or intercept, um, you know, the MFA process or MFA tokens. And we could go into that, you know, in detail sometime. But what I found interesting here is that the the adversary had done enough research to know 
that Reddit uses special like intro, internet gateway. Now, we could speculate as to how the adversary found that out or figured that out. Likely through, you know, OS intelligence, probably. I know, uh, I know, I know where you're going with this. <laughs> no, no, no. Yes, <laughs> I think so. <laughs> you want your prediction to come in true that this was a former employee, an insider threat. For those that don't know, a couple of weeks ago, Hector predicted that the insider threat was going to be the big attack vector of 2023. And so now he tries to take every story and <laughs> spin it towards uh, his prediction to make him look like the, the Notre Damas of hacking. Well, the one thing I'll say is that whoever his adversary were, they knew enough about, um, you know, kind of the daily activities of some of these employees that some sort of internet gateway would be used. How they knew that, I can't say for sure. Maybe it's an insider threat. Maybe someone from, you know. Uh, but no, you know, realistically for the audience, this this also could probably be found um, using OS intelligence, whether our old screenshots or maybe somebody posted on Instagram, them standing next to their login portal. There's a lot of different ways this could have this could have been discovered, and the adversary took advantage of it. Yeah. So uh, what we're read and, and what we're reading is what Reddit put out. And so, you know, that that's really our source of information, all this. And uh, again, we'll add our in the description, uh, we'll add the links to the story that you guys can read or what, what what Reddit posted. But they said that a single employee's credentials were were, were compromised and uh, were able to get in. So are you surprised by that? Or do you think it was just they sat there and waited? And as soon as uh, one worked, that they, they, they stopped collecting them. Yeah, I mean, if this was a targeted attack um, specifically to compromise um, Reddit developers, for example, that's the best example I could kind of work off of. So let's assume that was the case. All you need is one credential. Now, if that credential would have been like an intern dev that had zero access to, you know, much other than like maybe a, a repository or two, then the engagement probably would have moved further, okay? In this case, the attacker just needed one credential. Maybe he stopped right after that. So yeah, it's saying that the uh, the attacker gained access to the internal documents, code, uh, and some internal business systems, but there was no indication that the primary production system was uh, hacked into, or that the Reddit user passwords and accounts were hacked into. So you know, we we gained more information. Like we said, this happened on February fifth. Uh, we're recording this on February 10th. The report just came out yesterday. So maybe more information will come out uh, about the uh, the attack uh, and really where they went, what they were able to find that they went to. And, and But for now, um, no passwords or accounts were compromised. That's good news. Yeah, no, it, it is good news. Um, and, you know, look, at the end of the day, it's hard to deal with a, situ- a situation where an adversary is sophisticated enough to set up an infrastructure to not only social engineer you or your employees, um, they've done enough reconnaissance to kind of know how you guys operate, what kind of tools, um, software you guys are using, right? So that's that's problematic. Um, and with the technology out there, like again, you know, phishing platforms that that would allow an adversary to kind of deal with the MFA problem. It, it's definitely an issue. We should see less and less of these kind of attacks as we kind of you know, kind of progress in methodology and kind of dealing with access controls. Um, I don't know who this this employee was. We don't know what their position was. If it's a manager, then it makes sense why they had so much access. If we're talking about, you know, an entry-level developer and the attackers were able to get access to source code, 
that's a problem. Or internal documents, that's a problem. We kind of want to look at access controls. And this is why a lot of people kind of focus on trying to push the idea of zero trust. Because in a zero trust environment, the developer in this case would have only had access to what he needs to work off of. Again, we also don't know the extent of the exfiltration. These internal documents could be as simple as maybe some uh, some licensing files. Um, the source code could be access to uh, maybe some proprietary source code, maybe some uh, clones of open source tools. So we really don't know what the real impact is. And I'm sure we'll get more information as time progresses. Let me walk you through a scenario, something that I, maybe I don't really kind of uh, understand, or I want the audience maybe to understand a little bit more. So the uh, affected employee self-reported. So he said, you know, he he knew that he eventually, and I don't know how much time passed, that he clicked onto a phishing link and uh, his credentials went in. Um, so most bad guy sites like this would, he would have logged in and it would have then logged him into the site. Um, but, you know, sort of a, an attacker in the middle or an old, we used to call a man in the middle attack. The, the bad guy was able to get the login uh, credentials and the, um, and the token. And then the bad guy uses that to log into the site. Does that make sense that the bad guy and the affected uh, employee could be logged in at the same time? Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely possible. It all depends on how the applications are um, you know, deployed, what kind of technologies that are in use for authentication or authorization. Um, we talk about the differences between how cookies, um, cookies um, or, or JSON web tokens or whatever it is. Right? There's a lot of variables involved here. So going back to your scenario, if a victim clicks on a link, that link is malicious. That link also is not just a phishing link where, um, you know, or a phishing page where it's a mimic of the, the, the internet gateway, but instead it kind of proxies the inter- internet gateway. So the victim sees a legitimate login page. They click on the, the, the text boxes, submit their credentials. They press submit. They get an MFA prompt. They put in a token. The attacker sees all of that. And the victim is actually legitimately logged into the service now because that, that, that proxy or that reverse proxy is kind of proxying the victim right, right through to the legitimate you know, webpage. So as the attacker sitting there as being mad in the middle, they're seeing the traffic, they're seeing the sessions being created or session tokens. And now they could use the session token to essentially inherit access to the account. So they don't even need to log in anymore, okay? Now, the lifespan of those session tokens could be anywhere between one hour and one year. So if I started going through like the application log or something like that, some of the logs that were kept on the server, I'm going to see that user activity going back to two different IP addresses? That's correct. And is that not something that some sort of uh, intrusion detection system should have picked up on? Could be. I mean, there's there's some middleware uh, frameworks that wouldn't allow that. Again, it all depends on configuration, depends on sure. deployment, depends on a whole bunch of different variables. You know, um, that intraguard gateway could have had a, a a rule in place that said, look, only one session at a time per IP. And if that's the case, the attacker probably would have had a trouble logging into the account using the, that session token because that attempt would be invalidated. But Unfortunately, with all the hundreds or thousands of web application pen tests that I've done in my lifetime, 
I've seen that very rarely, maybe a handful of times. Do you think because of these phishing pages like this, that, that, that might increase? Like, what's the downside of employing something like that? Well, the downside for an attacker is just the infrastructure, setting everything up. No, I'm talking about the downside, the downside for the, like, uh, the Reddits of the world. Like, why not implement that? What, what's going to happen to the user experience if they implemented a, a security posture like that? If a Reddit were to implement something like that, um, that technical control would be quite effective. However, it would also be a hindrance for employees that use their phones and laptops on the go and are traveling around and are probably logging in from multiple devices at once. Then, yeah, that's a problem. All right. So, I mean, I mean maybe they could, uh, you know, alter it so it's for you know, on travel or something. But then now you have a lot of hands-on, you know, changing yeah. security features. Uh, and you can go grow out of control quickly for uh, for IT to, to do that. Well, it also goes back to the point that we made a couple episodes back, which is if an organization is going to um, have employees, especially work remotely, the organization should provide laptops and cellular devices, mobile devices that are managed by the organization, including the use of like a VPN into the network, right? I mean, there's different ways you could do this. In that scenario where you have a managed device, you control essentially that incoming IP address. So from the mobile device and from a laptop and you're working from home, the back end will see the same IP address usually because you're part of, you're using the same connection, the same VPN connection, okay? Now, as soon as you see an outside IP address, that could be an indicator of compromise, or it also tells you that a, a, an employee is willing to break the policy and use an unmanaged device for access to the to the, uh, to the internet. So, I mean, that's one thing we're going to talk about later on in the story is not allowing employees to use devices um, that are they're outside the organization. So, yeah, I think that's a that's a good point. Um, but it sounds like they could implement some some safer security here on this thing. So, you know, the security team responded quickly and, and removed the access to the bad guy, and they started doing their investigation. But, you know, one of the things that, that uh, Reddit's coming out and doing is, is reminding their employees to strengthen their security skills. Um, you know, and, and one of the things, or, or a couple of the things we talk about all the time, and so it's, it's making me smirk a little bit because uh, it's the same things that Hector and I bring up every single time. Um, 2FA, strengthening and setting up 2FA. Um, you know, th- that's what uh, Reddit wants you to do for your account. There's no indication that password, your password or account was compromised, but they think turning on 2FA is going to be a big thing. And they also want you to update your password every couple months. Uh, I mean, I think what is the, the latest prescription? Is it every 30 days, every 60 days, every 90 days? How often are we changing passwords, Sector? Well, that's controversial. I guarantee you if you were to take uh, 10 random security pa- practitioners or researchers and you put them in a room and ask them that question, you're going to get a bunch of answers and maybe even a very heated debate. <laughs> right? Hopefully a fist fight. Hopefully a fist fight. <laughs> so if you, if you were to follow like what Microsoft is kind of pushing, Microsoft... And other vendors are trying to move away from passwords entirely, right? They also, I've seen a document, I forgot what exactly when it was posted, um, but it was some good documentation from, you know, some, some Microsoft folks that kind of talked about maybe rotating passwords are a bad thing if, if, if it's the user, end user choosing the passwords, okay? Because end users will start to run out of ideas and their passwords will probably degrade over time, Okay. Well, they'll do great over time. And then let's also, we, we brought up, talked about it last week about AI and cybersecurity or, you know, um, 
it, the more things that we can record on people, we'll start to develop their patterns of how they make passwords and teaching AI how that particular user generates a password. Yeah, there's a lot of different ways to kind of go about this. You know, I think that if you employ a password manager and the password manager is able to uh, securely generate um, high entropy credentials for you, then that's a great move. That's fantastic. That's kind of better than you kind of guessing and trying to figure out, well, is a hacker really going to guess password one, two, three, four, and seven, <laughs> right? Yeah. You bring up an excellent point about the password manager. You know, even Reddit is suggesting to the users the use of a password manager. Um, not for the reason you did, uh, you said, but adding the extra layer of security by warning you um, that the password you're trying to use is on a phishing site. It doesn't match the domain that's logged, that's stored in that password manager. That is, yeah, that's a fantastic point. hundred uh, percent. And I, I would definitely, um, you know, let folks know that, listen, password managers work. Um, you know, I use a browser password to sync sometimes, not for extremely important items, but, you know, the everyday sites that I really care about. Yeah, I use a password manager and it works well. You know, and you're right. If someone was to put a phishing uh, uh, campaign together that targets one of those sites that I just mentioned, the password manager would not, you know, actually put in the passwords to the text boxes because the domains don't match. It's a great tool. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not really pro, uh, you know, like a browser password keeper, like when you have Chrome and it remembers your password. Um, but in, in this case, you are right. Like it wouldn't, you, you it would make you second guess. Like, well, why the hell is my password that every day when I log into this site, autofill in here and all of a sudden it's not autofilling. Uh, wait, something's wrong. Wait, I clicked on an email and it got to this URL. I know that I'm not supposed to click on URLs. It just kind of stops you in your tracks and gets you thinking about it. Oh, yeah. Well, it's definitely an indicator. It's an indicator of something wrong, you know? And I, I would definitely let folks know out there in the audience that, you know, we've given you guys a bunch of different insights on how to deal with your personal security. Um, but definitely take advantage of the tools that are available to you. No more guessing and randomly generating passwords off of mine. Uh, summer 563 is still not a good password. So, Yeah, and there's a lot of uh, password generators out there. Um, you know, a lot of the password managers offer on free on their website, a, a password generator, you know, slide it up to 15, 16 characters and, uh, you know, and, and make it very complex as much as the, the website will allow you to make it complex. You know, what's crazy. I used to, <laughs> cause I was, I was so Unix heavy. I was running OpenBSD a lot and I was always in console. Whenever I had to generate a password, I just I would just do like echo whatever and pipe it to MD5, you know, and, and just use an MD5 hash instead of like a regular password. That was, but that was like 20 years ago. What's going to limit you on your number of characters, though? Well, it depends, right? Depends on, on the site. But your MD5 is only going to go up through, what is it, F? 16 characters. Yeah. Well, the length for the MD5 hash is 16. Right, oh, but yeah, but I'm, I'm talking just the, the 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 what they're pulling from. It's not the full alphanumeric. Yeah, but it's only zero through nine, and then A through F. Yeah, no, absolutely. So it's not the that's that's my point. It's, it wasn't the best. Yeah, it wasn't the best way to go about it. Um, but I figured, hey, there's 32 characters in this MD5 hash, uh, yeah. or, or whatever it is. You know, it, who's gonna brute force this? Right, they're crazy. Then how did you store that password? Because there's no way in hell you memorized it. Because I would use a string that I would always remember. Oh, the same string for the MD5? No, I, I would change it. Like, for example, I would be like, yeah, okay, so echo, space, this is that one website. And pipe uh, that into MD5 sum. And boom, there you go. I got you. Like, like this, like, this is my password for 
xyz.com and you just change the xyz and it would completely alter the md5 so the md5 is a is a it's a one-way algorithm it sort of like generates a fingerprint for a file or or a thing like that so it it generates a a set of numbers um and 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 letters a through f uh it's unique to that file and if you just changed like one character in that string the whole md5 changes to something different it's not just like the next number so that's what hector's talking about Oh yeah, and, and and maybe fifteen twenty years ago that was okay, until until you start looking at breach password list, you saw that I wasn't the only one doing that. <laughs> there, there were people using MD five hash or desk hash or SHA hashes, and I'm like, okay, well, I'm sure someone's gonna figure out to kind of put together a word list using uh, hashes only. So, fun times. So the next thing I saw, Hector, a little bit aged on this. Uh, apparently, it was like in October of 22, but it's kind sure. of like it's hitting the news now uh, because of what we talked about last week with the FBI taking down the Hive ransomware group. The title of the article is FBI offering, quote, the Ritz-Carlton level customer <laughs> service. No, wow, end quote. Nice. Yeah, I, I was in the FBI for quite some time. I, I never stayed in the Ritz-Carlton while I was there. I'll tell you that. <laughs> so I, I'm glad they're now offering that that level of service. Yeah, no, that's that's interesting. Um, I know that you know you guys work and you put a lot of effort into helping you vic- the victims of a lot of these crimes. <laughs> Judging from these these stories you've read here, um, has anything changed? Like, why would these articles kind of like highlight how the FBI is dealing with victims now? Well, so I, I think really what it came out of is like we, we talked about that that Hive group, that ransomware group. Um, the FBI, you know, through legal authorities, hacked into their uh, their websites or some sort of their service, took the private encryption keys for the ransomware and uh, gave these companies a way of unlocking the information. Um, you know, I, I think that's what they're trying to say. And what really was the 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 weird thing about this is they found that only twenty percent of the victims uh, had ever even approached law enforcement. Um, so the FBI. Yeah, the FBI, I guess, was a little put off that the 80 percent of ransomware uh, victims in the United States didn't reach out to them. Let's pause right there. That's, that's, that brings up a really good question. Why would the why would victims avoid or, or, or kind of not call the FBI for assistance on a breach? If we were to speculate here. From my perspective, Naxo, um, they would worry about, you know, reputational harm. They wouldn't, you know, if they're not part of a regulated industry that doesn't require that they have to uh, disclose that they've been breached, they don't want the reputation hurt. Let's say they end up paying uh, the ransomware. Now that they're put on a list of people that will pay, you know, there could be a a number of different reasons why they wouldn't want to reach out. But I I was surprised the number is so low. Um, It's only 20%. Yeah, well, you know, it's crazy. I remember years ago when there was only like a few states like New York and California and then Nevada or whatever that they required data breach notifications. But we're at a point now where I think all 50 states um, have have enforced, have enabled and uh, enforced some sort of data breach protection laws uh, or notification laws. Um, So with that being said, wouldn't like what would be the legal consequence for these organizations to not uh, notify victims of a breach or the government of a breach. If they're if they're part of a regulated industry, 
I would, I'm assuming it would be, it would pre, be pretty dire. I mean, it, yeah, it's financial. You know, you they have a financial, they could be uh, burdened that they can be put on mm-hmm. a fine, essentially, um, yeah. all the way through to you know having to you know pay the victims to you know proving that they've increased security. Um, you know, it's it's it would not be a good thing. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's it was just surprising to me. Um, you know, one that that the percent was so low, but two. The FBI offering the Ritz Carlton level customer service, you know, I, well, that wasn't really my experience when I was there. Um, you know, it was kind of uh, you come in and you kind of lose, you know, the victim kind of loses control. The FBI kind of takes things over um, and just kind of goes. Thing. Now, there was a message while I was there that we were trying to soften that. But it seems like, you know, since I've left, they've really gone beyond uh, to the point where. I mean, I'm sure you've read some of these uh, these quotes. So, so Brian uh, Vordron, he's the uh, head of cyber for uh, for the FBI. Um, he says, you know, again, the Ritz Carlton level customer services to organizations that report uh, when they've hit by a cyber attack. The FBI will will fight with regulators and deal with the media on the behalf of those that report cyber attacks. Uh, mm. The agency says that it will only fight those attacks effectively if it cooperates closely with those targeted, including trusting the FBI with sensitive corporate information. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Uh, that, that Again, so now he's trying to say that other government agencies are going to uh, try to come in, like we talked, some of these regulation companies. Sure. Uh, and the FBI is going to tell them to pound sand. Um, you know, we're protecting that information that, that that victim shared with us. Interesting. That is – now, so let's, let me propose a scenario for you then. Okay. So what if the FBI uncovers, okay, that one of the victims uh, was indeed a victim, um, but they also uncover some, uh, along the way, even by accident, even an FBI agent is just like combing through the evidence and they find evidence of like, you know, financial fraud. Then what happens then? Uh, evidence of a financial crime or evidence of a, like an, a financial regulation that went on reported? That's a good question. So, so I think it's going to be different. I think if an, as soon as an FBI agent sees a crime, you know, they have to stop and, and, and deal with that, um, you know, to the point where, you know, there's sometimes when you're doing um, a computer investigation, you come across child exploitation pictures. You're supposed to stop right immediately. Then you have to go get a new search warrant and, and, and search, you know, for the rest of the evidence uh, for any child exploitation stuff. But for financial crime, if you're, if you're under a search, well, I guess you wouldn't be under a search warrant this time because you're dealing with a victim. You know, I don't know. That's a, you know, so the, based on one. what they're saying, I would think a crime, they're going to have to do it. They can't decide. They, you know, the FBI is not, you know, it's part of the executive branch to sure. enforce the laws. They can't decide which ones to enforce, which ones not. Mm-hmm. But based on uh, what the top cyber cop in uh, the FBI is saying, is they're not going to report it to a regulation industry. Yeah. I mean, in, in, in uh one of his quotes, he says, if the SEC comes to us and says, hey, FBI, we want what ex victim, you know, what ex victim gave to you. You give it to us. The answer is absolutely not. So I'm assuming in that situation, if the FBI is dealing with this data, you know, if the SEC comes looking for evidence of of, of maybe a, a violation of, of, of the notification uh, uh, laws or whatever, then the FBI would would assist or or rather kind of defend the victim. I don't know. Absolutely not is pretty definitive to me, which is, yeah. seems kind of crazy. He's kind of backing himself in a corner here. You know, and then what happens? The SEC has subpoena power. What happens if they subpoena the FBI uh, for that information? You know, are they going to fight it in court? Are two different bodies of the U.S. government going to fight in court? 
It's interesting. I I see why the FBI is doing it. I mean, they want people to come and report the crimes. You know, it's hard to fight a battle if you're only getting 20% of the insight into what's really happening. So I understand why they want to do it, but this seems like a really, really bold stance. See, the absolutely not um, is a strong answer to the SEC looking for uh, for this data. I'll be honest with you, Chris. Not for nothing. We do a lot of cool stories and we talk about a whole bunch whole bunch of different things. But this is very interesting to me. When when something comes so so things happen and you know you see things and and you know there's been things in the news recently about the FBI and other things. You know, when someone who is inside the organization looks at it, they look at it in a different light than than other people because they kind of know what oh maybe it was this was happening and all that and that was happening. But when I saw this story, I, I knew we had to talk about it because the, this is a a complete 180 from from my experience with the FBI, other agencies, other um, government entities were our partners in this sort of thing. And, you know, not that I don't ever remember turning over victim evidence or anything like that to anybody, but to, the, to come across and be so definitive about not doing it um, seemed very strange. I find it fascinating. In fact, I would love if we could talk to that guy sometime. I would love to hear more about this because... You know, whenever we hear about the FBI, man, all the conspiracy theorists on Twitter and everywhere else, I mean, if you believe what they're saying, you listen to everything they say, the FBI is in the middle of everything. They're doing everything. They're involved in all sorts of operations, good or bad, mostly bad. And so when you hear something like this, where the FBI is willing to stand up for the victims, I'm like, wow, I'm mind blown. That's interesting. Because so let me ask you this. like, So the victim here is a victim company. The victim of the company was hacked into. But who is the victim of unregulated or unreported uh, breaches? Yeah, the citizens. The citizens. So, you know, it kind of, you know, so are they? Is this, this in the best interest of the people? Uh, it's, a, it's a tough one. I know. I know. It's tough. I'm a, I'm a former FBI agent. I want to stand up for the FBI as much as I can here. Uh, but, but like, I definitely, definitely see why they're doing it. Um, but but you know sometimes maybe it's not as good. I mean, if my information was stolen and you know the FBI is not telling because the victim wants to keep it quiet, I can't do anything to protect myself. That's true. Yeah, I can't go and change my password, or I'm not I, 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 I'm not teed off to know to go change my password. Wow, this is this is a hell of a story. This is a this is a hacker thinker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting here like wow. There's so many different angles. And directions you could go here. Yeah. It's like everybody wins and everybody loses at the same time. Yeah. I'm really interested to, for people to write into us and, and tell us what their thoughts on this whole thing are. Um, you know, and we'll try to, try to take a listener poll. Like, like, who's in the right here? Is it the FBI wanting to get the victim's information, you know, into the system? Be like, you know, hey, we used to, you know, release all this, but we're not going to release, you know, victim data mm -hmm. or anything like that because we want to know what's happening, what the threat vector against U.S. companies are. Mm -hmm. Or is it the other side where, you know, the users of those companies should be told, you know, that, that they were a victim because the company had suffered a breach? Mm. So, yeah, wow. it'll be an ever-changing story and we'll see what the, what our listeners think about it, Hector. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to the audience uh, participation on this one, man. Help me out because this is this is fascinating. Thank, yeah. thanks, thank you, Chris, for kind of bringing the story up. Yeah, so audience, if you got have a, a position on this and and, and want to let us know, reach out to us at questions at hackerinthefed.com.
The next story I'd like to talk about, Hector, you sent over to me, was that the governor of Texas, Governor Abbott, announces a statewide plan on banning the use of TikTok. What are your thoughts and feelings on the use of TikTok? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, I'll be one of the radicals and say that TikTok is just another, um, you know, uh, it's just a spyware. You know, it's a great, it's a great application. Don't get me wrong, and it's not necessarily spyware. Don't, don't take my sarcasm and, and exaggeration as, as facts. But no, I mean, it is, it is, it is a, it is a popular app used by a ton of people that um, you know is developed by a, a U.S. subsidiary here that's supported by, you know, a, a company in China that has to follow the regulations of the Chinese government. For those that don't know, TikTok is a social media app that hosts short form videos and is very popular among young, young people. Young and old. You got to see the, 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 the wide spectrum of people on this thing, you know. Um, but I, I'll tell you, this story, and I know some of you might curse me out and I apologize in advance. Uh, just know that I'm not perfect. Thank you. What? Uh, <laughs> if if you are given a device by the government, okay, like when you was in the FBI, I'm sure the FBI gave you some sort of phone or something, okay? Yep, sure. Okay, and they're giving you a laptop, right? There should be zero reason why your personal life, and I'm talking about your personal interests and hobbies and, you know, TikToks and Tinders and all of that, none of that should be on those managed devices, so, yeah, so let, let me clarify. So the way Hector's talking about this, so Governor Abbott, the tech, he wants to ban TikTok use on all government or, or, or Texas-owned devices. He's not saying that people in Texas can't use TikTok. He's just trying to lock down that, uh, that, that these devices, that government-owned devices can't be used. He wants to ban and prevent the downloading and use of TikTok and prohibited technologies on state-issued devices. He wants to prohibit employees or contractors from conducting state businesses on prohibited technology-enabled personal devices. So if you have TikTok on your phone, he doesn't want you conducting state business on that phone. Um, and then he also wants to implement network-based restrictions to prevent the use of prohibited technologies on an agency networks by any device. So again, if you have TikTok on your phone, you can't connect it to your work uh, internet. Um, and I see you saying he wants to do this. I think he did do this. Yeah. I mean, look, this is this is fantastic. I mean, I we talk about this all the time. I am, it, listen, if an organization, if a government, if, uh, you know, anything, if, if, they're, if they want employees to follow their guidelines, then they must provide those employees with devices. Those devices are managed by the organization or government in this case. Um, I think that this is the right move. Now, here's the flip side to this. I saw the responses on Twitter, and including InfoSec Twitter, and I was actually surprised by the responses. People were like, Abbott's an idiot. I'm like, wait, what? Do you, what? Do you really want a, a government intern or, or, or the governor's right-hand man or, or, or somebody you know, sitting right next to the president using a government device with like TikTok on it? Like, come on. Did they Be offer realistic. an opinion on why? They thought it was an idiot or just it's like some sort of Nazi state of locking down of what I can do and not do. It was mostly that it was mostly, well, here comes the government trying to control us. But you have to read what's being said here. These are state issued devices. These are managed devices. At that point, if it's a managed device, then respect the policy. If you violate the policy, then you have no respect for the security of the organization. And that's a major problem. 
Governor Abbott came out and said uh, that, that, that TikTok is owned by a Chinese company that employs Chinese Communist Party members, and TikTok harvests significant amounts of data from a user's device, including details about a user's internet activity. I'm going to go one step further and say it also takes details about the user, not just the internet activity. Um, you know, I, I think I've seen reports. I've not done the testing myself, but I've seen you know security reports where TikTok logs facial recognition, face patterns of of you know uh, U.S. citizens, and also voice prints. Oh yeah, that's that's insane. But you know, I, I just want to point out, folks, that you know I, I'm not anti TikTok. This applies to any app, any you know third party app. Is on your phone. Is developed by any country. It's not an anti-Chinese stance either. The reality is, is that you know we're always talking about. Well, why is there always ransomwares and infiltrations, and um, you know why is all this stuff being leaked, or why is X, Y, and Z happening? Well, you know a lot of us are not following proper security protocol policies. This is a policy to help kind of define the rules. If you're going to be in a governor's office, you're not going to have a personal device with TikTok on it. You're going to have your state-owned or state-managed issued device. I think it's cool. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, I mean, I'm for it. I mean, if, if the government, you're a government employee or employee of a company, and they want to have a policy that says you can't have certain uh, applications on the device that I own and have let you use, you need to abide by that. I mean, there's a, you know, the, a reason behind it. Like Hector said, we're seeing all these security breaches. We kind of saw this before when the federal government banned Kaspersky being used on any government devices, federally owned government devices. Did you see that same backlash at that time? Absolutely, especially in the security industry. The immediate backlash was that, hey, this is Russophobia. You know, the government is only doing this because the Kaspersky is a, a Russian owned business or is operated in Russia. Um, and that's not fair. That's that's not right. Well, you have to understand something that these computers and these devices that are within, especially in the government, they're dealing with classified information. Don't be surprised if they do not want, um, you know, a foreign product running on their devices. And I'm sure because uh, the Kaspersky team, they were cool. I've, I've, I knew some of the guys. Uh, I know, like, my friend Jeffrey Carr was cool with them. There's a lot, you know, we're all part of the same industry, so we all intermingle at some point. But I would agree with the band. Yeah, if it's a managed device, you cannot install, you know, TikTok and Kaspersky and anything else. And the government is like, well, I don't want that. Let me ask you this. Do you think it's a little hypocritical to say that I don't want an ex-country owned application running on that phone that was created in another country? Oh, now that's another conversation. That's another. <laughs> that's a great one. <laughs> that's a great one. Now we have to deal with the the, the potential that there may be supply chain attacks happening in these phones or that have happened and these phones are compromised and we're purchasing them from American companies, but they're creating the hardware in foreign countries. And so, yeah, it'd be, I would say it's hypocritical or maybe the folks in charge haven't really thought about that yet. Maybe, maybe it's time to bring manufacturing back to the United States. I don't know. I don't know. How how much is an iPhone made in the United States going to cost us? Jeez, probably going to be double. <laughs> double, you hope. <laughs> <laughs> That's have true. To get a mortgage for it. Yeah. Well, maybe it's time to go back to dumb phones, you know? Yeah. Not a bad idea. 
So you obviously the last story we'll cover you sent over was uh, it's called hacking into Toyota's global supply management network. Uh, this was a, a a guy who had found some flaws in Toyota's global supply uh, preparation information management system, or you know simply known as the GSPIMS. Uh, <laughs> it's a web application that Toyota employees and their suppliers used to coordinate projects, parts, surveys, and tasks. This was a very interesting read. Um, I don't think we can go through the whole thing, uh, but, you know, we'll supply a link um, for anyone, you know, in the InfoSec world that that wants to read about it. He goes through and how easily he was able to get admin access into the system and get a lot of information out of Toyota systems. Oh, yeah. This was one of the best reads I've had in a long time. Big shout out to the researcher Eaton here who uh, just put together fantastic research. Uh, they also, you know, communicated with Toyota, provided all the details. The issue was fixed. And uh, the, issue, the issue was actually disclosed back in November. Um, and, you know, the uh, disclosed story, to Toyota and Toyota was able to fix it long before, you know, publication. Eaton po- posted this. Yeah. 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 So the, the issue was disclosed to, to Toyota back in November of 2022. And, you know, many, many months later, here we go. We have a, we have this kind of write up in February of 2023 fantastic write-up on kind of looking at you know the the external attack surface looking at web applications looking at javascripts loaded by those applications that are being rendered by your web browser and just following the trail step by step this person this researcher kind of gives you an idea as to how they sleuthed around um they did the reconnaissance information gathering and discovery they identified um, endpoints that they probably should have never seen and how to actually use those endpoints to get them access. So again, Chris, we've talked about API security several times now, right? Yes. So this researcher was able to abuse yet again another API endpoint to get access to web application. Yeah, I found it very interesting. He includes screenshots of how he modified you know, some code within the application to like return true uh, for, for certain login port parts. And you know, he was able to you know, prevent the uh, redirect back to the login page uh, if it failed. Um, again, yeah, we'll put a link in it, but, but yeah, big shout out to, to Eaton and great research uh, and a really good read for, for the, the nerds in the audience. And by the way, I just want to make a point here that Ian did the research, you know, out of their own accord. They were paid zero dollars for the research, even though it was a critical one. Um, so I would say, you know, Toyota, try to send them a couple bucks, man. You know, a little, nice little check goes a long way. Yeah, it's, it's a good one. So, so it's oh, good. Yeah. So, uh, Hector, uh, we always want uh, listener questions. Uh, we talked about it inside the episode. Um, but uh, listeners, uh, please write in to Hacker in the Fed at questions at Hacker in the Fed. We had a great question this week. I can't wait to answer it from Allison, who's a college student at uh, the College of Charleston. Um, so we'll get to that question here soon uh, on an episode. Um, but I think you and I have one thing to settle. We each have picked a team in the Super Bowl, and we need to put a wager up on that. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I'm going to say, I, I'm going to propose the mm-hmm. loser of it has to tell an embarrassing story on the next <laughs> episode of Hacker in the Fed. I have enough embarrassing stories. Yes, I could definitely do that. I have no fear in taking All that right. wager on. All right. But we will not accept any listener questions about our embarrassing story. Whatever details we provide, that's all the details that it'll be. 
You got it, brother. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. So, Hector, another great episode. Listeners, we have new episodes every Thursday. Download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, fun times this time, this week, Hector. Really enjoyed it. Just remember, you know, enjoy life. Life is beautiful. And try to take time to yourselves. And, uh, and, you know, let's just get through this day. So, with that, Chris, cheers. Cheers, brother. <laughs>